Welcome to Keep IT Healthy Podcast, a show hosted by people making things happen in technology, aiming to optimize healthcare delivery, health, well-being, and fitness. My name is Jan Kaminski and I'm the co-founder of AppLover, a company dedicated to improving the quality of life with IT solutions and digital advisory. We started making this podcast to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Our guest today is Chris Blomfield Brown, creator of Core. Hi. How are we going? Thanks for having us on and uh, hopefully we can uh, give some nice background or insight to some of your listeners. So. Yeah, we, we always started with the, with the question about backstory and um, your path, your career path. So could you, could you tell us the, the backstory and what brought you to this particular? Well, character? if it's the long version, we're going to need more than an hour. Uh, so maybe an abbreviated version. I've got a really diverse background. But I think we can summarize it where I, you can say I've always been performance-oriented, trying to strive to make things better. Uh, and that goes from athletics for high-level sports performance to software companies that have founded, uh, have multiple startups to uh, biometric sensors. I was a race car engineer trying to do race cars performance for 15 years, biometric sensors, laser industry. So it's a real diverse background. But if you all boil it down, it's all the same thing, is trying to strive to make things better, perform better, uh, work better, uh, always trying to improve things. You mentioned uh, race car engineer, right? How you transitioned from being a race car engineer to working with biometric sensors and sport performance data analysis that you do yeah. right now? Well, as a race car engineer, on like even a simple car will have 160 sensors monitoring most things on the car and trying to optimize the system. And I look at it, it's a whole system, as we were monitoring everything on the car except the most important and the most variable part, which is the driver. So we could monitor his actions, interactions with the car, but we weren't looking at the biometrics data that way. So I started a company with a, a, a really bright guy, uh, one of the best wireless guys I've, I've met um, and in Australia. And we would uh, feed in the biometric sensors and go into the, the car computer system like every other sensor. So we turned the driver into another component in the car, just another tunable uh, device. And we got this biometric feedback that gave us better insights on how to make the overall system work better. And that way I got involved more and more uh, in biometric sensors, but I had already been involved in with quite a bit through some uh, high level cycling uh, and other sports that I've been involved in. So, so it was a kind of a, a simple transition. So we're monitoring race cars to improve performance. And the one thing that we needed to improve were the biggest variables, drivers. So we started monitoring the drivers to figure out all that. And, and actually, originally, I wanted to prove to the drivers they needed to be fit. But what we found was a lot more indication uh, on stressors and other kind of uh, really important biofeedbacks that we were able to translate into performance and results really quickly. What happened to that company? <laughs> like a lot of them, uh, that kind of went on to uh, it transitioned to uh, another another third party, and I went on to the next challenge. So, uh, yeah, always kind of looking for opportunities and things to do. So, um, yeah, from there, I a friend called me uh, was a bit uh, desperate. That's how I ended up in Switzerland. Not desperate is probably the wrong word. Really wanted me to come and help him with his project in Switzerland for six months. And, uh, and so I learned all about the laser industry. So we did that for a couple of years and, and uh, still in Switzerland. Right now, you're um, a technology lead at Core Body Temperature. Could you tell us more, what is Core and what, what are you producing? Uh, well, Core simply is the first sensor to measure your core body temperature. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, it's a wearable sensor and you just, uh, most athletes, they just kind of wear it onto their heart rate monitor. Um, whoops, uh, on their heart rate monitor. And then it works like a normal sensor, like a heart rate monitor or a speed sensor. It goes onto their smartwatch or their bike computer and the data is there in there because it's really relevant in sports because as your core body temperature goes up, your performance goes down. And in race cars, we even saw this too, as their core body temperature go, went up, we actually saw a, uh, it's research shows that mental capacity goes down, it's just blood flow issue and oxygen issue. And we saw that the level of mistakes used to go up as they got hotter. So it's really relevant in a lot of sports. And, um, and so now we've kind of gone out and created the category with core, and this is being widely adapted. We work with most of the professional cycling teams and top triathletes. Now we're getting to trail running and marathon running. So distance and endurance sports. And then it's still relevant in other, uh, other applications outside of sports. It's a monitoring system, like a monitoring tool, but what sets your technology apart, uh, how it differentiates from other uh, monitoring systems and, and tools uh, on the market and what's the well, difference for, first, what's for the athletes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just, uh, well, I'll break it down because I didn't talk about it much. One, it's a wearable device. Uh, it's a technology. Um, and so we can do constant monitoring core body temperature. First, there's not many devices that do that in a non-invasive way. So 24 hours, constantly monitoring your temperature your temperature is not static as a lot of people think and then the second of all is it works in sports applications and in many other applications the ear thermometers that most of us are used to or under the tongue a different thermometers those technologies don't work in sports applications they only kind of work in the accuracy on those is actually not as good as most people think it's actually really bad and so one those methods the normal methods don't work in sports or in other applications like workforce safety or if you're working outside in a hot environment so most of the traditional temperature measuring mechanisms don't work in those kind of and then they also don't work in uh, um, sports environments or hot environments they don't continuous monitor and and they're or and if you do have a solution like an e-pill or something they they're evasive um, you have to use a rectal probe or swallow an e-pill uh, to be able to get that same information. So we're the first wearable technology that is able to do that. And that technology uh, can actually be embedded to other devices that might look like something on my wrist or this wrist or this finger uh, or other things like that. So it's actually a technology um, that can be embedded into other kind of wearable devices. And the core sensor was just the, the first solution and a very good uh, solution for sports people. So. Okay, and it's but as I understand, it, it's not only for athletes, but it can be used by amateurs as well in sport. Of or course, yeah, yeah, you can use it uh, for sports. We have people who use it for other things like workforce safety, people who are working in hot environments, firefighters and things like that who want to do monitor themselves, uh, military going to hot environments or getting ready to go to a hot environment. Um, and then in America, under the Emergency Use Act, uh, it's actually an FDA approved device for medical. Uh, and now they're just finishing up the full 501k, they call it, to be a, a medical device in the USA, then followed by uh, other other countries. Uh, it's just a longer process. So they're still working on that. So, um, but it, right now it can actually be used and sold as a medical device, a clinical medi medical thermometer in the United States. 
if you can tell us more about that, I mean, how these sure. strategies so, facilitate your tech, you know, contribute yeah. to athlete performance. So let, let me just maybe take a step back. So the first thing people aren't aware of is when you do a sport, even in cooler condition, your temperature goes extremely high. The extreme fever levels. We have people uh, running races uh, at a hundred of over 40 degrees, 40, 40 and a half degrees. So, uh, or a hundred, if you're in the North America, you know, 105 degrees. So your extreme fever levels, if you're doing exercise and you feel hot, it is because you're hot usually. Um, and then you're hot for a sustained amount of time. So what happens is when you race, you race at these extreme temperatures, but most of the time we're training at these low temperatures. Mm -hmm. So when you go to race, you're putting your body in a new stress that it's not used to. So what we first do is we do what we call heat training, which is basically you race here and you train here. So what we need to do is occasionally train at an elevated temperature to get your body adapted to it. And it's that simple. So we, we just try to get you into the right level, get you the right temperature for a duration period of time so your body adapts. So when you go to compete, your body's more efficient uh, and you perform better. Uh, and that's I mean, what a lot of the athletes do. It's yeah. used to heat, right? Yeah, we get your body more efficient. So what happens is when you, when you uh, let's say, cycle, 20% uh, of the energy that you consume goes to putting power at the pedals. And that's what people measure at the power meter. 20% yeah. is, turns into mechanical. So your gross efficiency is 20% on a bicycle if you're good. That means 80% of the energy is not going to the pedals and actually comes out as heat. 80% of the calories we presume turns into heat and our bodies have to get rid of that heat. And to get rid of that heat is a physiological system. And that, and like all physiological systems, they can become more efficient. And the way you make them more efficient is you stress them and they become more efficient. And that, um, and there's two interesting parts in the adaptation. And one is your body gets much better at how to redirect blood flow for cooling. And we can talk about how cooling works if you want. And then the other one is your body sees basically you need to sweat more. So your body produces more plasma or blood volume. So your blood volume increases. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the main key things for performance. Even in cooler conditions, we found is if you can expand the blood volume, then your performance can go up even in cooler conditions. So we have people heat training for cross-country skiing, <laughs> even though it sounds funny, uh, but and they measure the results and they see improved uh, measurable gains. When you look at your um, partners and clients and customers, when, when it comes to athletes, do you have any sport that it's just, I mean, favorite in a sense, you have just the most athletes? Uh, that um, well, Is I can say for like the pro cycling teams, I was uh, at over 20 training camps this uh, year <laughs> uh, and and the reason I didn't go to a few more is I missed there was three that we we couldn't ma manage to get there in time or, or the schedules didn't match up um, the top triathletes we work with most of the top triathletes so triathlon and cycling are big areas at the moment but now we're moving into trail running and we're working with some of the top trail runners because they have same issues uh, mm -hmm. and then we're just starting into getting into running so mostly endurance sports anything in endurance sports but we also have uh, America's Cup sailing. We work with a few teams there uh, and volleyball and, or uh, there's other sports, any sport. Um, 
it actually even we do a lot in cycling so there's even velodrome racing you know on the track track racing and some of those events they only last two minutes but they're still monitoring core body temperature because when they warm up they do a lot of pre-cooling because they can measure the goal the difference even in an event that lasts 17 seconds so if you can get all the blood flow and, and maybe I should give the, the reason why this works. It's almost a mechanical system. If you can get all the blood flow to work to the working muscles, even for those 17 seconds, they can measure, they can see that it's a performance gain. And all they have to do is do some heat acclimation training. And then they, they do pre-cooling. Mostly they're doing a lot of pre-cooling before their event starts. So they okay. warm up the muscles or get the vascular dilation in, a, in the working muscles. And in the rest of the body, they keep it uh, cooler. So all the blood's going to go to the muscles for those 17 seconds or those four minutes or however long it is. And your predominant market is US probably, right? Or, or uh, right now it's 45% uh, Europe and 45% uh, US and then 10% rest of the world. So okay. uh, it's pretty pretty evenly distributed. Rest of the world, mm -hmm. uh, I think actually Japan might, actually, might be bigger than that. Um, the way we calculate it's actually might be uh, maybe it's 42, 42, uh, Japan four, and then the rest of the world. So, uh, and it's growing. So uh, it's growing, but it's pretty even distribution between there, but um, we'll see how that grows in the future. Um, could you share some insights into the, the journey of developing this technology and, and, and launching it to the market? Sure. Um, so uh, GreenTag, uh, they actually make the, the sensor itself. So, mm -hmm. um, and I should, we should probably talk about temperature in a little bit. So come, we'll come back, to, we'll circle back to that. So they actually make the sensor itself and it measures energy transfer. And then they had been working in clinical studies and doing product uh, for about seven years, six or seven years when I, I, I knew them through the laser industry. These sensors are also used in the laser industry to measure uh, a small amount of laser energy or to measure actually the energy coming through a, a big thickness on a wall, the, like mu value on a wall. And they, they were doing this also to measure core body temperature. And I knew the, the CEO, uh, Wolf, and he asked me if I could help. Uh, he thought it might be good to, good exposure to try to do something at sports. And they had been contacting a lot of companies and it hadn't been getting traction. So we said we need to have a, a product to, to help demonstrate the value and help create the category um, because the other companies were reluctant to do that. So Core actually looks like a separate company. We're kind of, uh, we're separate, but uh, still affiliated with the parent company. But we really kind of operate, we're completely different. We're direct to consumer and we're our own kind of uh, business unit uh, to create the, the core body temperature and create a sensor and create the category uh, and show the usefulness in sports. So um, I came in and this was right, right before COVID started and we said, this is a good opportunity. And so from my race car background, I, 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 there I learned how to do products very fast. How long did it take you to launch the product from, let's say, A, to, to build a prototype and then to build a fully functioning, functioning product? So uh, I was fortunate when I got there, they had some really rough prototypes that they were using for clinical studies and just gather data. So, but it was, it was very crude. It was just like open circuit board with epoxy and, and we could gather a little bit of data. So I came in and we turned up the gas in, uh, so to speak. And in a month and a half, we kind of came up with a whole plan uh, that actually is still uh, true now that the same plan we're still executing on. Um, 
the name, the logo, the website, everything was launched in uh, uh, five, six weeks from starting. Um, and then we turned up the gas. We decided had to turn prototype into product, and uh, that was a that was a, a really good effort. Pretty much three months from okay. taking a rough prototype to injection molders, the whole design process, the design the boxes, getting the the first uh, uh, preliminary shipment, and then followed up by a, a, a full uh, a full production run. And so within that, so we went from. Uh, Begin end of May, we had our first like 300 delivered with pro basically the same product we have now. And then we were in the Tour de France because that was COVID year. So we were in the Tour de France in July with uh, one team. And then because that was a COVID year, then we went to the Giro, had two more teams. So we were up to three teams. And then we were up to five teams uh, in the Volta. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then we started working with triathletes at the top level. We had uh, Chris Olaf Blue, who's a fantastic coach. He really saw the value, and everything just snowballed really quickly. When it comes to the features, because obviously, as a monitoring system, it can be like, you can probably there is an indefinite feature list in a sense, like functionalities of the, of the product. What's what, what are the plans on the horizon? I mean, do you just want to focus on sales? Or you still developing the product and changing some or adding some some additional things to it? Uh, you in any kind of business or technology, you always have to be going forward. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. So of course, right. we're always developing. We're trying to add more value. Um, and again, we work with top professionals, so we take a lot of their input. And I mean, it's great. We work with the best in the world, and we try to answer their questions and. We're getting the input from them. They're trying to. We have people trying different kind of crazy things. We support them in those things, and then some of those things seem to pop. Will propagate down uh, to the for more use for the general consumer. So we're always trying to push the boundaries, do the next steps, keep moving forward, and and add value to for everyone for using this data and add value. The real value actually is when you combine with other data, and so when you have all this big data model. Uh, you know, uh, I wear all these things, and if you combine all that data, it even paints a bigger picture. So it's just another piece in the puzzle, and I think it's all the big data is where everything's going to that really makes the more interesting, uh, interesting applications, not only for sports, but for health and for medical. Could you share some of the of the plans, like wh wh where the product will be heading, or you can't for now? Uh, well, I can be a slightly evasive <laughs> uh i would say well actually there was a, a watch from withings that was just announced that has uh the the core or the clara technology uh, enabled in it so that's the first uh, major wrist-worn device um so i think you'll see more products like that coming in the near future so it's going to start being much more uh, common metric and then the, the value add is for sleep, it's one of the best sleep trackers because when there's a thing called circadian cycle, when you fall asleep, your temperature generally drops 0 0.5, 0 0.6 degrees or one degree Fahrenheit. And, uh, and then uh, when you wake up, it comes back up. And you can almost see the minute someone falls asleep because their temperature immediately starts dropping. And when you're under stress or fatigued or overtrained or ill, that circadian cycle gets disrupted. And that's a really good health indicator. 
And that doesn't show up in other sleep trackers that work off HRV and, uh, and accelerometers and heart rate. Uh, so really, this core body temperature is a really important metric that way. And we're involved in some projects for early detection and neurological diseases, neurological diseases, because they'll mm -hmm. show up in the temperature circadian cycle, which is really uh, early detection of Alzheimer's and early detection of uh, Parkinson's. So it's really exciting to be helping create not only helping uh, sports performance and uh, hopefully a business model that's successful, but also when you think you can actually do good in society in the long term. That's extremely motivating uh, for everyone involved. If you can help people and help, if we can do early diagnosis of these diseases and help people in the near, hopefully in the future, uh, be able to combat them or slow those down, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a, a major motivation thing. And the sports people are helping us get uh, on that path. So sports mm -hmm. is actually playing a role in helping people's medical and health in the long term. Yeah, I recently heard the. Uh... Uberman's podcast about uh, about body temperature and how it influences I mean everything when you sleep and you wake up what's what are the differences so I agree completely I mean so so, so that I mean the, the general plan would be right now you're focusing on focusing on athletes but who knows maybe it will be more of a you will just lean towards the consumer side not only athletes yep. uh, people that just take care of their sleep routines etc etc that's what yep. you meant uh, definitely. Okay. Where I'm focused more on the athlete side, but part of the athlete side, we, uh, we're using it also for sleep monitoring, looking for fatigue, looking for adaptation, um, and moving into the general. And you can definitely see, and all this information that we use in the athletes gets moved to the general health and wellness and consumer side. So definitely, okay. just like we did heart rate monitors. Heart rate monitors started in the athletic space, and now... Now everyone uses them, right? They're on all your watches and rings and uh, uh, whoops and everything else. So yeah. uh, heart rate is a, a normal thing and core body temperature is something I could foresee uh, as a, another important metrics in that whole uh, sphere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there'll be more and more as the, in the near future as the biometric sensors development it gets better and the accuracy gets better. That can be more of a useful biofeedback system like we do in coaching for sports performance, that information yeah. can be used into, uh, uh, you know, health and wellness and even treating. We have people, researchers treating diseases now like uh, sports performance, using the biofeedback, seeing how things are working to make improvements. Yeah, but is there still a problem with the technology? I mean, you mentioned the biosensor are, uh, biosensors are not or they cannot be uh, accurate enough or what's what's the, mod, let's say, the error margin? Uh, all of them have error margins. I know if I use a chest-based heart rate monitor, it's much more accurate than my wrist-based heart rate monitor. But my wrist-based is good enough for 80% of what I'm doing. But if I'm doing sports performance, I'll probably, I, I'm used to wearing the chest-based one. Um, okay. and, and look, the wrist-based uh, heart rate monitors from five years ago to now, they've making leaps forwards. Everyone is making going forward. So we all know that Computers did this. All technology keeps advancing and getting better and more accurate uh, and more sensitive. And, and there's a lot of clever people out there trying to figure out how to make everything better. Uh, we've got people doing blood pressure, uh, uh, SpO2, SMO2. Um, and there's other things coming in the works you know, with live glucose monitoring. And there's other things that they're looking at monitoring besides uh, just glucose, including lactates and ketones. 
um, the, the rate of progress is increasing. They still take time, uh, but it's easy to foresee that it's it's all coming. Mm -hmm. And this sensor technology is called Calera, right? So the base, so core is the product, and we yeah. are and we are primarily focusing on the sports field, and then Calera is the based uh, integratable technology. Yeah, and so Calera is a Swiss word for temperature, uh, and it can be. Uh, Calera can be embedded in various devices, correct? So right. can, can wearable devices, yep, including yeah, so. like a medical patch that could be worn on your chest, uh, a wrist-worn device that looks like a Withings watch or other watches or other uh, health monitoring bands. Uh, so it's it's already embedded uh, in a few mm -hmm. different projects. So any, uh, any any non-sports, for example, applications like yep. healthcare. Where uh, yes, there's uh, one product. Uh, I like to give an example. Um, I'm not sure if I can mention the company name, but I'll mention the product. Is uh, for monitoring seniors. They they have special underpants with a little clip on it that monitors the heart rate, their core body temperature if they've fallen. Um, and like I say, you know, and I core we do with the sports performance, and you know, it's much more interesting to talking about winning stages in the Tour de France or Olympic gold medals than it is to talk about your grandparents' underpants. So yeah. uh, core was a good way to kind of showcase this technology, the Clara technology, and showcase that it can be used in, in lots of different applications. So there's medical things in the works. There's uh, um, and then there's also a consumer uh, now being released, uh, like the first product uh, withings and a, and a wrist uh, device. And you will see uh, probably sports devices in the near future too. We, we talked um, a little bit about the future in general, but how do you envision sports tech evolving? I mean, except for probably a lot of data and, and, and a lot of data analysis. Yeah, uh, you mean, will I, I see two sides in that is one will get better at measuring technology and two, mm -hmm. the analysis. And a lot, there's a lot of work happening in the analysis area now, especially with AI. Um, now with those tools is because we really see it's the big data model. So it's a, a compound of all the data, finding the trends. And actually a lot of it's really useful now for helping, assisting the coaches. The coaches, uh, you know, athlete gets injured or is feeling sick. We can detect that stuff. Some of the stuff might detect it a little bit earlier. Uh, and then, or if we need to adapt the coaching plan uh, because they're feeling a little tired today or overtrained, we can adapt it and readjust for the stresses we need to do uh, to get the adaptations, to get them to the perform right for their, their targeted goals. So a lot of AI is coming involved. There's a lot of development happening there from different areas. Um, and again, I think it's the big data model and a lot of people are moving to 24 hour monitoring to use that as a whole biofeedback chain. Um, and, and that goes for you know nutrition, rest and recovery, and then and getting the right amount of stress into a, a workout for the adaptation. We're seeing the people who are able to do this well, they can get the right amount of stress in and get people to adapt ex extremely quick uh, that was never imaginable before because they're able to refine the refine that better with using technology. Yeah. But for example, that we had some guests from the sport tech industry, um, entrepreneurs and like tech evangelists that do either software for athletes or hardware for athletes. And I'm always asking this because I'm very curious is, I mean, is sport opening for technology, but what I mean by this is, 
uh, is it easier to convince an athlete that they need, let's say, a, a new brand SA like SaaS analysis platform or hardware, or it's easier to convince a trainer, a, a coach? It depends on the athlete, but to your, your best uh, success path is going with a trainer and a coach um, because they're the ones who are prescribing the workouts. So I, and it depends on the athlete. Some athletes, they go, you know, you have a power meter and they say, yeah, I use it because my coach tells me to go do X and I use it to say, okay, I sit on 305 watts for five minutes, then I rest for 1.5 minutes. And then I do 305 watts for another five minutes. You know, I do that three times. I'm doing my intervals. So the coach is prescribing it. And then, and then the, the, the athlete goes and executes the, the workouts. And then the coach looks at that data as analysis to how to keep adapting. Um, so I think you're better. But, the, but we also have some very advanced athletes and, and who basically coach themselves. So then you can kind of say that they're a coach or some athletes who are very interested in this technology and they'll still discuss it with their coach to come up with a plan. So I would say that coach's involvement has to really be there. And the crux is the coach, you know, they have a lot of athletes, they have a lot of work to do. And how can they put this technology in uh, that they're going to get a benefit from? How much extra work is it? How, how are they going to get the most out of it? So most coaches will approach it that they'll, they'll start with the technology on themselves. Um, or a couple of their athletes, and they'll see how to integrate it into the program before they roll it out to all, the, all their athletes. So you have to realistically look at their problems uh, and there's, you know, they're, they're getting paid, their job is to get results. And so they have the really, really hard job of taking technology and data and turn it into results. And, and if they try to experiment with someone who's got the, they just had the Ironman World Championships, the Men's World Championship on the weekend, and if they're going to experiment with someone who should finish in the top 10 and they finish in the top 50, well, he's not going to be a very popular coach anymore. So they have to be smart about how they do things and how they roll technology into it and how important it is. And I like to say 80% of the training is always the same. It's what they do with it, 20% and, uh, and how they're going to adapt it. Um, there is never a magic bullet. It's always just refinement. And that's really how you can use technology, I think, is really refining those things to get the most adaptation. One of the coaches I work with, I really like what he says. He says, we underestimate how adaptable the human body is. And I think he's spot on. And if we can get the right stressors on it and refine that stress, the body adapts really quick for performance or health and other things. It's just all about the right balance. And that biofeedback and the technologies is really how we can refine that to get it happening faster. Aren't the, I mean, not only by your product, but is there fear among coaches that they're going to be replaced by technology and by, or not really, they know that they need to use it in order to enhance the performance of their athletes? Uh, I would say I was in race cars and we used so many sensors and the race car engineer's job is not going to be replaced by AI and other things. Yeah. Um, I think those should be looked as tools. And if someone has that fear, I think it's uh, mostly just a lack of understanding because a coach's job is really important. And, and then uh, I've been um, uh, in another podcast recently. They were talking about, oh, it's the, uh, the feedback from the, from, the, you know, from the athlete is super important and you can't remove it. And I said, I 100% agree. That's what the coach does. He gets the, also the feedback from the, uh, the athlete, but that's just another data point. 
Uh, it's one that's hard to uh, get a sensor to do. <laughs> How do you feel? Um, but we have all the other sensors and then you take the athlete input, but that's just another data point. And it's again, all this data together that really paints the picture. Some of AI helps and that coach's intuition and really the relationship between the coach and the athlete is super important um, mm -hmm. uh, for both trust and, and, and learning and, and, that, and knowing each other to be able to do that. And that's not going to be replaced anytime soon. Uh, again, the AI and the tools and the sensors are just a way to assist to get to that goal quicker. Okay, so you're not afraid that AI will be, you know, playing any revolutionizing, I mean, that will just revolutionize athletes training and performance, and that will be just, you know, a new sport uh, completely. Oh. No, no, no. And I actually think, I look at it differently. I think it can revolutionize the way coaches, how much time they have to spend and help them dial in uh, better training sessions for their athletes. So I think the AI can actually just only help the coaches be better coaches. Um, we used to say like uh, in, in motor racing, we had uh, traction control in these driver aids. And in the result, even when they had them, they, they, a lot of them got banned or they got changed. We said it never took an idiot and made them a genius. It could only, it could take a really good driver and make them a little bit better, but it never, it never replaced you had to be a very good pilot a very good driver in the first place to be able to use those things and that just gave that person just a small advantage so you can view it as the same way these are assistance tools to assist the coach so he can quicker and go back through all the history and the ai is going to go back through all the history and look for the trends help him look for the trends and then he's just then the AI just suggests stuff and bring things to the coach's attention quicker. So these are only should be viewed as uh, enhancing and making their job easier or making their job more effective in the future. Mm -hmm. And um, with 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 the, with the background uh, in in race engineering and team management, how did you expand? Because when I was, I was doing the research, um, I noticed that how did you expand the CB squared? Because that was the name of the of the company back then. Yep. Uh, how did you expand that uh, into education and promoting the application of, like, of, of math and science in motorsports to engage young people in those subjects? Uh, oh. That was just kind of a bit of a passion project. So uh, I was a race car engineer for a long time, and it was mm -hmm. a nice way to connect with younger people um, because they think it was kind of an exciting career. And I would go in and with two with two missions in, in, in uh, or two, two, uh, a lot of these were young people, high school students. And uh, one mission was just to show practical applications of math and science. So math and science, practical applications can be fun. You know, that's a race engineer. I'm in front of my computer doing data analysis most of the time. And it's really complex and show that complexity and how the math and science can actually be applied. And then the second part was to educate young people uh, about being responsible uh, of, uh, in a vehicle and really emphasizing if you want to go drive fast, there's places to do it called the racetrack. And, um, I, you know, in a personal experience, I saw two people get killed uh, in the races we were in and one 19 year old kid turned into a quadriplegic. And this is in a controlled environment. It's super safe cars. And so it's driving and I'm really uh, anti driving fast on the road. It's if you want to drive fast, you go do it in a race car on a racetrack. Yeah. And it's a completely different experience. Um, and if you think you're a good driver on the on the on the road, uh, I'll tell you if you get to a race car, 
I'm probably not as good as you think you are. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I agree completely. And um, you, this is interesting because you, you've been a, like a race engineer, but you're also been a software developer, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. you, you, you were working for uh, Microsoft and, and you're in software engineer in, in, in general. So you, you essentially gone, this is a really broad, you know, career path. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, I like to say same, but different. So I had uh, multiple startups, software startups, and I worked at some larger companies like Microsoft and was involved in some strategic business development. It was really, uh, some inter really interesting projects. Um, but it's all the same, but different. Uh, there was always uh, trying to uh, make products better. Uh, go into a startup, you're trying to make a startup successful. You go to a race team, you know, we're trying to up the level. We want to win races. It's, and you do it in all the same processes. Look for your weaknesses, fix them, keep making steps forward towards your goal. Um, uh, lasers to softwares to biometric engineering to core sensors and sports performance. I see more similarities than differences. Yeah. Well, if we get into the details, I mean, of course, you've had a diverse career journey, and that's um, that's exciting. And and, and from co-founding wire, wireless uh, motorsport to working at Microsoft and Coherent Incorporated, etc. But how have these experiences, especially in the '90s, for example, uh, because I saw that that was when you worked at Microsoft, <laughs> for instance, yeah, uh, how how have these um, experiences shaped your approach to entrepreneurship and, and technology development? Because you're, you're there for quite a long time. Uh, yeah, I think um, what I say is uh, life is full of opportunity. It's always hard to figure out what you want to focus on. And, uh, and, then, and I think the key word there is then focus and to be able to get there and then make the steps to, to, to go up to whatever you define success to be. Um, okay. And how did I do those steps? It's also just being able to ability to see opportunities. So when something comes along and not being afraid to say, oh, I think this is good enough. And I, it's time now to change course and focus on that and, uh, and put all my effort into that. So yeah. I think it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it's authentic also. I mean, for example, you're, I think we had some guests in the, in the podcast that except for the, I mean, they were work, they were working on their, or, or they worked uh, on their own products, mainly from the sport tech industry, but they were also former athletes themselves. And I know mm -hmm. you were also in a, um, you've been a competitive athlete, even representing Australia several, several times in the world amateur championship, uh, did that. Uh, experience as an athlete influenced the, the, the work and, and, and I mean, of course it did, but like, how did it influence the, the, the work that you do right now, except for the yeah. fact that we probably have a lot of contacts and you know exactly <laughs> why they, uh, I mean, how to, I mean, how to convince a coach or a trainer because you probably had your own. I would, uh, I would probably say in a little bit different way. There's two things is one is I always believe in any product any product that I'm, I'm focused on or working on uh, or team or company, I always first advocate that you need to use a product. So um, if you're using the product, then that's how you really understand it. So I wear my core sensor all the time. And even, uh, even, our, even our management board, I went out and bought them all sport watches so they could understand how the whole ecosystem worked. I, I think that's super important 
And I always think it doesn't matter if you're making shoes or sports watches or biotech or software, you need to use a product. Everyone needs to use the product who's using it. And second of all, uh, uh, so that was part of the sports is I use the product, so I have to know how they do it. Uh, you were a former athlete, of course, but is it a strategy of those companies that, for example, uh, Core or Green Tag, um, some of their staff, some of their employees are connected deeply with sport or as former athletes or former coaches, or it doesn't work like that? Uh, to I think instead of saying you have to be an athlete before, I think you have to understand the industry that you're going into. Um, and so if I go around a pro cycling team, I really have to understand how the teams work. I mean, those guys are so incredibly busy. You have to be really understanding how their schedules work. What are the coaches to take on new technology? It's not sort of like it's a simple thing. You have to understand their process, their apprehensions, and be able to work with that. So I think it's important in any kind of new area or, or a technology area getting into that you need to understand that industry. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to ban an athlete at a high level, but I think understanding and empathy, how that system works for in one way or the other is critical for success in almost any industry. But for example, you personally, uh, how your personal experiences as an athlete influenced your professional endeavors? As my, as my athlete, uh, my, my athletic adventures uh, or adventures, I don't view too much different from my business uh, ventures is basically it, I wanted to perform at a higher level and I had my own personal goals. Uh, I did rock climbing and others and sailing and other sports also. And I always wanted to make improvements just like I would with a company or just like a product. And I was always trying to figure out how to make those improvements. So I view how I dealt with sports uh, is not much different than how I deal with technologies, developing technologies or developing a business is we're always trying to do those. Like I said before, uh, you said all these different things that it's all the same, but different. Uh, but the approach is still that kind of engineering approach. Uh, I think maybe my DNA as an engineer uh, to heart is basically what's the problem? How are we going to fix the problem? How we can improve it? And what are the steps? What's our ultimate goal? And what are the steps we can do to get there? And if you are to say, I mean, for individuals interested in entrepreneurship or sports tech in general, yeah. What three advices would you give um, them based on your own journey of starting and running successful ventures and also working at Core? What would that be? Uh, one is uh, if you think you can see this opportunity, uh, if you see a niche that you think you go fill, um, one is be able to see it, recognize it, and then set up your mind that you think that's uh, good to go. And then as soon as you make up your mind to do that, then it's Focus, followed by focus, followed by focus. So, uh, you know, uh, an inch wide, a mile long. Uh, basically, we just want to keep on track and keep important notes there, you know, and figure out the, the logical steps we need to take to get to that, that ultimate goal, whatever that ultimate goal might be. Is it develop a technology? Is it a develop a, a company? Is it uh, develop something to, so you can go win a race? So make sure your goal is there and then how to focus in and get those steps there to get to the, to achieve that point. If, if there are athletes that uh, are listening to us, where they can find you? Uh, corebodytemp.com. Uh, and we're starting to develop a reseller network and distributor network. 
so hopefully at a, your favorite shop soon, but uh, otherwise corebodytent.com. Um, and we also have lots of interesting background information on how this affects sports performance and even health and wellness and, and pregnant, uh, pregnant uh, women who want to exercise because the core body temperature is a really important part of that. Um, and if you have any questions, there we've got our little chat bot there, and we generally try to answer your questions as quickly as possible. So always open for questions, and you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, under that name. And uh, always feel free. I'm always here to try to help. And if I can help and answer any questions, uh, please just uh, feel free to contact me. Nice. And um, Chris, thank you. Thank you very much for, for joining us today and for sharing those insights on core and your personal journey. Uh, and hope to, uh, I hope to hear more about it, maybe in the volume two of the episodes. <laughs> okay, no worries. Anytime, if I can help, I'm always here to try to help educate. And, uh, and I hope uh, some people got some, at least a, a little bit of knowledge out of this. So Thanks again. Stay in touch with us, subscribe to our podcast, give us a like, comment, or share. If you want to reach out personally, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram.